Are you ready for God's word? Amen. King Jesus is our sermon series. Today we cover human king. Human king. Just to let you know where we've been and where we're going, last week we said he was the humble king. This week he's a human king. Tomorrow, uh, next week he'll be divine king. And we're going to cover each one of these attributes of who he is. You might say, Pastor, why is it so important to remember and know that he's a human king? Maybe it's because the Bible says in the book of John, 1 John to be specific, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that, Christ, that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. So the Bible makes a point to say, hey, don't forget He's divine. I get it. He's divine. He's God. But he's also what? Human. Human. In Christ, you see humanity with perfect divinity become one. Become one. Listen to what the Bible says in John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. If you drop down to verse 14, it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is why the Bible says we should call his name Emmanuel. God with us. This is the reason why in Orthodox Christianity which we adhere to and hold to, evangelical Christianity, that the Nicene Creed is still important. It's still important. I'm going to read a portion of the Nicene Creed to you. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, Begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God. Begotten, not made, being of what's one substance with the Father by whom all things were made. Who, for us men, for our salvation, came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary. And was made man. And was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And on the third day he rose again according to the scriptures. And ascended into heaven. And sits on the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge the quick and the dead. Whose kingdom shall have no end. Come on, how many of us know God became flesh? He died on a cross for our sins, and he rose again, conquering death from our side. Not from heaven, from earth. He conquered death, amen? And he sits now, ascended into heaven at the right hand of the Father, and he is coming again for us. You say, Pastor, why is this so important? Well, I'm going to share with you a video by a man named Yuval Noah Harari. Now, he's just one of many spokesmen, but he happens to be a very 
effective spokesman, so much so that kind of a who's who of elites tout him as a prophet, as a prophet. He is openly atheist and very antagonistic towards Christianity. But that's not the point. The point is, the reason I'm bringing this up is because our doctrine, you say, what's doctrine? Those are those fundamental, foundational beliefs that, that strengthen our faith, and that's what our faith is built on. The doctrine that Jesus Christ is divine yet human is so, so important. Why? Well, one of the reasons, I'll share with you as we go through the message, but one of the things I want to share with you is this. The end times, which we are going quickly towards Christ's return. Now, you may say, Pastor, it's still 50 years down the road. It's still 2,000 years down the road. I don't know, but we're closer than we were yesterday. I can tell you that. We are definitely closer than we were yesterday. And if you happen to look at the signs, I think you'll be hard-pressed to say we're still way off. You can, anybody with an objective kind of look at what's happening will come to the conclusion that, whoa, we probably should start paying attention. One of the things that we should pay attention to is there will be a lot of deception on the earth. A lot of deception. How do you know this, Pastor? Because Jesus says, in, when he was asked point blank by his disciples about the end, he says, make sure you're not deceived. Make sure you're not deceived. Make he says it three times within like four verses. So we know right off the bat that the de deception will mark the end. And I want, to, want you to hear what some of the deception is starting to sound like. The reason I'm playing this, even though it's a very provocative clip, I want to set it up, is not to be provocative but to warn you so that you can see why the doctrinal statements of our faith are important, such as the Nicene Creed. And not only that, but what the Word talks about Jesus being human. Play this. All this story about Jesus rising from the dead and being the Son of God, this is fake news. Wait. Now we see the creation of a new massive class of useless people as computers become better and better in more and more fields, there is a distinct possibility that computers will outperform us in most tasks and will make humans redundant. And then the big political and economic question of the 21st century will be, what do we need humans for? Or at least, what do we need so many humans for? Do you have an answer in the book? Um, at present, the best guess we have is uh, keep them happy with drugs and computer games. But this doesn't sound like a very appealing future. This creation of a new massive class of useless people. Another possibility is the division of humankind into different biological castes, with the rich being upgraded into virtual gods, and the poor being degraded to this level of, of, of useless, useless you people. You see the decoupling of intelligence from consciousness. And Earth will be dominated by entities that are super intelligent, but completely non-conscious. Highly intelligent computer programs that have no minds, no feelings, no emotions. So really, Humankind is about to gain divine powers of creation. We are in the process of becoming gods. 
And the big question that faces us in the coming decades is what to do with our new godlike powers. Now humans are developing even bigger powers than ever before. We are really acquiring divine powers of creation and destruction. We are really upgrading humans into gods. We are acquiring, for instance, the, the power to re-engineer life. This debate about... Um, so he goes on to explain a lot of, of, of pretty out there type of things. And you say, oh, how, how influential is this guy? He's super influential. He's been a speaker at who's who type events from the World Economic Forum to all kinds of big places, uh, uh, very influential events. And he's written at least two New York Times bestsellers. Actually, he's written more than that, but these are the two that are most popular. Homo Deus, which is uh, human gods. That's, that's what, what that stands for. And then Sapiens. He goes on to say that we have reached a pivotal moment in history. In history. Now I'm paraphrasing, putting it in my own words. Where this generation alive on the earth today will see everything change. What do you mean? That we will no longer be human. Some will be human, some won't. And so they're talking about transhumanism, a combining humans with, uh, with the digital world and computers and, and machinery and all kinds of things, but also talking about hacking us genetically so that we can upgrade ourselves genetically and leave uh, the, human, uh, the homo sapien species behind. What is that? What is that about? Why are you saying that, Pastor? Because I want us to wake up as Christians and then realize that our doctrine needs to be understood and held to so that we're not deceived. The Bible says, according to Jesus, that the deception is going to be so strong that if you're teetering in your faith, you're done. Done. So we, and you say, this is why I pray for this younger generation. Because even the world knows there's something big going on. And this generation, they say it all the time, this generation will see things change like never before. Like never before, from AI to nanotechnology to cryptography, all of the things that are taking place. I've just mentioned a few. There's like, there's like at least eight revolutions coming and converging upon one moment in history, and it's now, and it's not by accident. Jesus is coming soon. Jesus is coming soon. So younger generation, gird yourself up in the Lord, and know Jesus Christ came in human form to save humans. You go, oh, what are you, what are you talking about? Because they're talking about hacking the human genome to the point where you won't, you won't no longer have to be human. You can upgrade and live forever. You can, and, and you think, oh, this is crazy, but, but it's being shared. And you say, Pastor, why do you go into this? I go into it because what we have as a foundation is about to be proven to be super important. What if this, you know, people have talked about the mark, the mark, the mark. You know what mark I'm talking about if you're a Christian. The mark. Is it a computer chip? Why do you need a computer chip when we can change your DNA? And that's irreversible. Think a minute. What does the Bible say? The Bible says very, very clearly, every spirit 
that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Those that do not are not of God. And so we need to be, we need to be, we need to be hip to this. Now, as I start my message, I want to ask you, how many of us, as you get older, become more and more aware that you're human? Anyone uh, having your body talk to you and remind you you're human? You know, as I get older, I can't get away with the things I used to get away with. I could study all night, I could cram for a test, go in there, knock it out, you know, flip off of this, jump off of that, fall here, tackle that. I could do all sorts of things. And I was, I was young and bulletproof. I thought I could conquer the world, right? But as you get older, one tumble down a ski slope and you're hurting two months later. I'm still hurting. I'm sitting here trying to worship, going, Lord, I want to focus on you. Please heal me. And God's going, now just a little bit longer. A little bit longer. I want you to feel your humanity so you remember to be smarter, right? I don't know why, but, but you know, I brought this upon myself. And so my arms hurt and everything's hurting. And so when you start hurting, you start really paying attention to your health. At least I do. So all of a sudden, I decided, man, i got to get healthy. And my wife says, you don't ever do anything like slowly. You just jump in. i got like, I have at least 12, 15 supplements now. <laughs> and I started feeling sick. And she says, maybe because you've overdosed your body with all kinds of stuff. But every one of them is good according to the videos on YouTube. <laughs> and then I said, okay, i got to get, am I the only one? No, I see some people getting elbowed right now. I'll tell you what. So I, I decided that it's time to get back to something I learned a while back. So I did some more research on it, and it's called, it's called activating your lymphatic system. I don't know if that's what it's called, but that's the way I see it. And what you do is you dry brush. Anyone who's ever done any dry brushing or hear about dry brushing? Some of y'all are looking at me like, hmm. What you do is you take a brush, and you... You brush your skin and get all the dead cells off of it, all the dead skin, and you allow your lymphatic system to really get going, and, and, and it has all kinds of great health effects, according to the videos again. And this is not medical advice, by the way. So I decided, and, and when, when I struggled with the autoimmune issues that I had, I used to do this to keep my, my uh, immune system going in the right direction, so I started doing it again. The problem is um, the NCAA basketball tournament was going on, and that's only in the living room, and the living room's a straight shot to the doorway, and so when you're brushing, you got to take your shirt off. Now, I wasn't in my tidy whities but I was in some shorts, and that was it, and I'm brushing, and then Miss Kim comes to the doorbell and rings the doorbell, and I'm like, oh no, Hide! And so then I put the shirt on, I go over, answer the door, and Miss Kim says, oh, Pastor Chris, I just brought this over for Pastor Melissa. And I'm like, oh, you could have left it <laughs> without ringing the doorbell, but now we're here. Oh, I was working out. I had to put on my shirt real quick, but yeah, thank you very much. And you say, what does that have to do with anything? Because my, my illustration wasn't complete until I was embarrassed. I didn't know that. 
Because I was going to tell you about how when you're human, you start working out and you have to take care of your body and this and that. And God decided to add some embarrassment on it and remind me how human I really am. Because when you're human, you get embarrassed. Not only do you get embarrassed, but you do silly things and then you think, oh my gosh, what are they going to think of me? And what are they going to think of me? So I better just go ahead and tell the whole church. Right? And then God is going, you are so human. <laughs> Any other humans in the room? You go, what, why does that matter? Because Jesus was human too. You say, but, but why is it so important to know doctrinally or, or have a foundation of Jesus' humanity? The reason why is because the enemy will try to mess with you and tell you he doesn't relate to you. And there's no way you can relate to him. And there's a chasm between you. Never, never, ever will you be able to have relationship with a God who doesn't understand you. And yet God says, I understand you perfectly. Because I walked where you walked. I felt what you felt. I understand you. I understand you. And so that's what we're talking about here today. Two simple things. You want to know what they are? Their God relates to you in Jesus, and he saves you. He relates to you, and he saves you. Now, we've read the Nicene Creed. We've read from John saying that he became flesh. But I also want you to see probably his most pointed, most significant, most human moment was at the garden just before he paid for our sin. Just before he was crucified, you see this moment. Read with me. Then they came to a place which was called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John with him. And he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. Wait a minute. God doesn't get troubled. God doesn't get deeply distressed. Yet Jesus did. Why? Because he was human. He was human. Keep reading with me. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. God doesn't get sorrowful. That's a human condition to feel that, that emotional, just wave of emotions called sorrow. Sorrow. But yet Jesus gets sorrowful. Keep reading with me. Even to death, stay here and watch. He went a little further, fell onto the ground to his face, and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. He's saying, Lord, is there any other way? Well, that's a human prayer. Anyone ever prayed? I can pray. I prayed last night, Lord, if there's any way you could just remove this pain so I can sleep. You say, Pastor, did you go to the chiropractor? I did. I did. All I could think of is, man, can you imagine how bad it would have been if I hadn't gone? He goes, if it's possible, would you remove this? Now, I'm not comparing my simple little pain to the pain he, he encountered on the cross. But what I am telling you is he knows pain. He knows sorrow. He knows what you're going through. 
How does this help your prayer life? Think about it. When you pray, he relates to you. How awesome is it when someone relates to you? We'll talk about that in a bit. In a bit. He says, nevertheless, not, my, not what I will, but what you will. Luke 22 verse 44 says this, And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. This is a condition that physicians will tell us happens when you are in extreme, intense, physical agony and pouring yourself out. This is human. God doesn't sweat. God doesn't bleed. But Jesus sweat. He bled. What does that mean? It means he understands you. It means you can understand him. It means you can have relationship. You go, Pastor, I, I, I just don't, I just don't, I'm not sure. Let me ask you this. Have you ever been talking to someone who you perceive as being, being extremely accomplished? Ever had a, I had a conversation once with a gentleman who was extremely accomplished. Imagine, you have a conversation, you're, and then you start realizing we don't relate. There's no way he could relate to me. She could relate to me. There's no way. They have all of this and they've done all of this and they've, they've experienced all of this and, and they're so far ahead. How could they possibly relate to me? And then you hear him say, let me tell you how I started. And they start telling you they started poor, down to earth. Struggling, just trying to get through college. Just, just trying to put one foot in front of the other. Counting pennies to make dinner for that night. And then you start realizing, whoa, this person's not very different from. What does that do to y'all's relationship? What does it do to your trust? How do you, just by relating, what happens? You become closer just like that. Can I tell you, Jesus is saying, you can relate to me and I can relate to you because ultimately I want a relationship with you. Let me show you how much he can relate to us. In Luke chapter 4, he says, the Bible says, he was hungry as he was fasting. Anyone ever get hungry? But God doesn't get hungry, does he? Jesus did. How about in Matthew chapter 21, the Bible says he was Hungry, so much so that he went looking for food and went to a fig tree. He was hungry. Come on, you come to third service, I tend to keep them a little longer. I promise you, you'll know hunger. <laughs> hungry. Listen to what the Bible says in John chapter 4, verse 6. He went to Jacob's well. After traveling all day, he was weary from the journey. He was thirsty. God doesn't get weary. God doesn't get thirsty, does he? Jesus did. Not only did he get thirsty, tired, hungry, he sweat, he bled. He was human. He was human. Watch. He also felt deep sorrow for his relationships. Yeah, but he knows we'll see him again. He knows that, that, that this is just temporary. He might know it's just temporary, but he still feels it. Come on, you might know that you'll see your loved ones again, 
But you feel it, don't you? You're not a robot, neither was he. He felt it. Read with me in Matthew chapter 14. On Herod's birthday, the the daughter of Herodias danced for the guest and pleased Herod so much that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. Prompted by her mother, she said, Give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist. The king was distressed. But because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he ordered that her request be granted and had John beheaded in prison. His head was brought in on a platter and given to the girl who carried it over to her mother. John's disciples had to come in, take his body, and bury it. Then they went and told Jesus. When Jesus heard the news of what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately. What does privately mean? It means by himself. Guys, I need some time. What did he need time for? To go to a solitary place to mourn. He mourned, he felt sorrow, he hurt, he sweat, he bled. Why is this important? I've been saying over and over it's important because you're important to him. Let me share another story with you. It's out of the Old Testament. And it's, when, it's about Moses and the children of Israel. How many of you remember when God called Moses? What did he use? Come on, anyone? A burning? Okay, one person, one bush. One person, one bush. What happens when the children of Israel are brought out of captivity and God wants to call out to them and introduce himself? No longer one person, many people, many. Come on, one person, one bush, many people, many bushes. Yeah, you can say that. If you read it in the Old Testament, this is the way I translate it. God shows up and sets the mountain on fire. The whole mountain. And he says, this is what you're going to do. All the people are going to surround the mountain. And you will not come any closer than this and warn them. I'm serious about this. The ground which I come down on will be holy. So he comes down and starts speaking in that awesome thundering voice. And the people freak out out. They freak out so much. They say, Moses, we don't want God speaking to us. Why don't you have him speak to you and you come and speak to us? And many of us still do the same thing today. Pastor, will you pray? Will somebody else pray? You pray. Why? Because God said, I want to live among you. I want to dwell among you. I'm going to come down in the form of my son as a human so that you no longer have to be fearful, so that I can walk it out from your side. Gentleness, love, care, patience, goodness, kindness. Can I tell you what Jesus represents? He represents the perfect majesty of God in humanly form, saying, I love you this much. I'm willing to die for you. Now, we shared this a couple of weeks ago that it takes sacrifice to improve the future, didn't we? We said that if you want to have a better future, you've got to work. If you want to have a better future, you may have to sacrifice an education, starting a business, doing something. But it takes sacrifice, does it not? What will the ultimate sacrifice get you? 
Well, the ultimate sacrifice will give you the ultimate future. The ultimate future is heaven. So how do we get the ultimate future? We need the ultimate sacrifice. What is the ultimate sacrifice if not giving yourself or your children? And God did both. He gave his son and Jesus gave himself. But how do we know he was a perfect sacrifice? Because he was human yet divine. And he says, I love you this much. And watch love. This is true love. True love is not, you will, you will believe in me. No. I will woo you. When I had Melissa fall in love with me, I couldn't say, come here, girl. You're going to be my girlfriend whether you like it or not. What do you think her father would have said about that? Not in this house. Not with my daughter. Right? My father-in-law's going, stop using me as an example. <laughs> but, it, but that doesn't work. Watch what Jesus does. He knows what love is from our side. He says, I won't force you. You can deny me. You can crucify me. You can hate me. You can blaspheme me. You can do all of that. I'm just going to show you how much I care for you. I'm going to be kind. I'm going to be generous. I'm going to be loving. I'm going to be caring. I'm going to be gentle. Isn't Christ all of those things when you read about him? And then he dies on a cross hanging there saying, what will you do with me? Will you embrace my love? Because I love you this much. That's Jesus. Human, not a God, not a, yes, a God, but not one only in heaven saying, I can't relate to you. I'm just going to bark orders. I'm just going to tell you what I expect. No, he comes down and says, I want to show you the way. Isn't that what Jesus came to do? What does he say? I am the, the truth and the life. I've come to give you life. I've come to show you there's a better way to live life. The Bible says in John 10, 10, the enemy comes to what? Steal, kill, destroy. But Jesus says, I have come that you might have life in the fullest way possible. I'm showing you how to live better, he says. And I'm going to do it from your side. I'm going to do it in everyday scenarios, situations, and circumstances. I'm going to do it with people trying to hunt me down and kill me. I'm going to do it with people hating me. I'm going to do it with people loving me. I'm going to do it with people trying to use me. I'm going to do it in everyday life like you have to live. Isn't that beautiful? Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I love you, Lord Jesus. So, you say, are you sure? Let's keep reading God's word. We're almost done. Matthew chapter 9 talks about the blind that Jesus healed. In verse 30, the Bible says, And their eyes were opened, and Jesus sternly warned them, saying, See that no one knows. Why would Jesus say, Don't tell anyone? I know why. He knows they're human. And because he's human, he knows human psychology. And he's doing reverse psychology. Kind of reminds me when you start thinking that way, you ever seen Princess Bride? 
when they're playing that little game and he confuses himself so much. Anyway, what if there's a much simpler explanation? No, 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 no. I know he's using subversive psychology because humans will always do what they're told not to do. He's going back to the garden. He's making, oh my goodness, you're making it more complicated than it needs to be. Yeah, that could be a teaching, but what if there's a more simple teaching? Watch, keep going with me. In Mark chapter one, he heals a leper. And he says this, he says, see that you say nothing to anyone. Don't tell Come on, you have to use the double negative to really em be emphatic. Don't tell no one. That's what you just don't tell anyone. Except go fulfill the law. Okay, keep with me. Let's keep going. Let's go back to Matthew 9. Let's go one verse more. The blind departed. He said, don't tell nobody. Watch the first thing they do. They spread it like wildfire. They start telling everybody. Come on, if only we would tell about Jesus that way today. Go tell it on them. Come on, let me hear you. Okay, y'all need to sign up for the choir. You need to sign up for the choir. We're, hey, Brother Bob, I'm so proud of you. Hurt back and everything, still coming to choir practice. Man, I love that. I love that. I love it. I heard about that. You inspired me. I'm going to join. I'm doing it. So watch this. Let's go to Mark 1:45. So we're going back and forth between these two accounts where he says, tell no one. Watch what the uh, leper does, right? He went out and began to share it freely. And he spread the matter. Watch, this is the reason. Mark gives us a footnote and lets us know why Jesus said, don't tell anyone. It's right there. Jesus could no longer openly enter the city, but was outside in deserted, lonely places. I say lonely because some of your versions, if you're reading, I think NIV or one of the other versions says lonely. He was Away from the people. You say, oh, I love being away from people. Just try being away from people more than three months. You'll end up talking to volleyballs named Wilson. <laughs> oh, you know what I'm talking about. No, we need people. Jesus needed people. Jesus loved people so much he came. He lived this humble life and he died for us. He had to stay outside. And the whole reason he came was for the people. Listen to what Philippians 2 says. Think of yourselves the way Jesus, Christ, thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but, but did not think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status, no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave, became a human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredible, humbling process. 
He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life, then died a selfless, obedient death. The worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. What am I saying? The Bible's saying it for us. He didn't cheat. When the Bible says he became human, guess what? He became human. How does that inspire us? Lord, you understand. When I pray about my neck, when I pray about my family, when I pray about my sorrow, when I pray about my insecurity, when I pray, you know what it's like to walk on this earth. You know what it's like to go through what I'm going through. You know, Lord, and you've come so that I might understand a better way. God, show me your way by the power of your spirit. Amen? Notice, some of us read that and we've been trained by religiosity to think, yes, he's human, but it's kind of like Einstein taking a, a, a kindergarten math quiz. That's kind of the human he is. Or Mozart playing with the junior high band. That's the kind of human he is. No, he didn't take any advantages. He did it from our side. He did it from our side. This is beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Now, this is where we'll finish. Can you see his humanity again in Gethsemane? Stay here and watch with me. Stay here and watch with me. I love people. I need my friends. I need my brothers. Anyone else? Watch. Keep going with me. Let not your hearts be troubled, he tells them. Believe in me. Be, uh, believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. What is he saying? He's saying, I care about your humanity because I know what it's like to have pain. And so I don't want you to be troubled. I want you to know that, that we're going to be together again. Do you get that? This is, this is Jesus' idea to want to be with us. He said, we're going to be together again. And then he says, I'm God and the Father and I are one. And he's explaining some deep truths to them. This is where he says, he says, um, I am the way, the truth, and the? No one comes to the Father except through me. And then Philip in verse 8 says, Lord, show us the Father and it will be sufficient for us. And then watch Jesus' response. Have I been with you so long? Have I been with you so long? It's as if he's like, and I've walked with you, I've eaten with you, I've, I've hurt with you. I mean, we've been a band of brothers, thick and thin, up and down, all around. And yet you still don't know me? See, sometimes we preach that from a standpoint of, you still don't know me? What if it's not disappointment? What if it's hurt? Imagine being in a world where 
those closest to you and those that you spend time with, and even though this world is filled with a bunch of humans, still don't really know you. Oh, you don't have to imagine. You do live in that world. Well, he did too. And he understood and he understands you. This is what I've come to tell you. Know that Jesus was human so that your prayers will come from the side of, Lord, I have faith that you know exactly what I'm praying about and you care. You really care because it's not only a matter of knowing that he can, it's knowing that he wants to, knowing that he cares. Sometimes we go, Lord, I know you can do all things, but in our heart, in our mind, we think, but I'm not sure if you care. Oh, he cares. He cares. You say, are you sure, pastor? I'm sure is this. He was human, but he was also divine. We'll talk about that next week. And because he was divine, he walked a perfect, sinless life. Now imagine having the human emotion without the effects of sin. You go, how does sin affect my emotions? Come on, sometimes you know you should care more, but you're like, dude, it sucks to be you. Am I the only one? Like, we know we should care more, but we're like, you know, I, I, I want to care more, but man, I just like, I'm kind of all cared out, and I just want to be a little selfish right now, so dude, I hope you figure it out. You got, we got some really religious people going, yeah, not me. <laughs> no, I know what it's like to be selfish. Come on, how many times, um... Do we want to care more for our spouse? But we're like, babe, I'm the one that said I'm sorry the last five times. It ain't happening today. <laughs> but who's counting, right? And then she reminds me, no, I said I'm sorry the last five times. And I go, oh, I didn't remember those. Because we only look from a selfish lens. And so it affects the way we care. It affects the way we pray. Come on, how many of us know we should pray more, but Lord, I'm just kind of tired and bored of praying. Am I the only one? No, but what if you could feel what you feel in terms of care, gentleness, love, concern, patience without selfishness? without the effects of sin. Oh, Lord, you understand me, but you understand me at a whole nother level. Because you're not selfish. You don't have all, you haven't been beat up by sin and a thousand addictions and a thousand hurts and, 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 and yuck and muck that is piled up Instead, Lord, you're still the most human of all humans. Ooh. And because you're the human of all humans, you understand me, and you died on the cross to save me. And that's where we'll spend most of our time next week. He came to save us. To save us. But you've got to put your trust in him. Amen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. I'm going to put the verses up here. Watch. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes. What does it mean to believe? 
Lord, I believe your word. You came in human flesh. You died for me. Today I say, yes, Lord. Yes, you can have my life. I want to be in relationship with you, and I trust you, God. I trust you. Watch, whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. Meaning if you haven't put your trust in Christ, if you haven't entered into a relationship, your default position is you're dead. You're dead. You're condemned. Well, well, how could a loving God do that? No, no. He gives us a choice and every one of us have sinned. Every one of us have sinned. You go, but I'm not that bad. It's not about how bad you are. It's about the little, the sin you have committed. Even if it's a microscopic little selfishness, which I bet it's more than that, because we're human and we know. But, but that's the default position and Christ comes and says you can be saved. Father, I love you and I thank you for this beautiful day. And I pray, Lord, that today Today, someone would say, Lord, I receive you as my Savior. I put my faith in you, my King. I put my faith in you. I put my faith in you. So as you go, may you know that our King understands you, relates to you, loves you, and knows exactly what you're going through. Until you return. In Jesus' name. Church, have a great, wonderful day. I love you.